0: If you would, turn uh, with me to Romans chapter 5, all right? We're going to be in Romans chapter 5 this evening. Today, we're actually beginning our summer series on and about the gospel, right? The good news. I love it, Michael. The good news. And here's the good news. The good news is that while you're turning there, God has a plan for humanity And his plan stems from his love, right? John the Apostle tells us that God is love. And so today, not just the adults, but the kiddos, right? And I hope, again, I hope you got some pamphlets. If you haven't, that's okay. Run to the back table and grab one. But as you fill in, as you take notes, right, not just because I'm preaching, but hopefully for your enrichment in life, all right, as we lean into the scriptures today, my hope is that today you'll receive a fresh and a reviving look at the gospel that will gain a new perspective at what this good news is. Amen? You with me? And so the title of today's sermon is Amazing Grace, The Beauty of God, Exchange for the Ugliness of Humanity. The beauty of God exchanged for the ugliness of humanity. Father, thank you for your word this evening. May my words be carried off, as I said, Father God. May your word, Holy Spirit, just ring true and speak life and compassion and grace into all of us this evening. May we see your beauty and understand what that means for our personal lives. Here's something I've noticed throughout the scriptures, through, through my work um, in immigration, through my work as even just crossing into the darkness across the borders. I've noticed something and that it's the chaos and brokenness tugs at the heart of God. There's just something about it that he can't let go and he leans into it. And so if you look at Genesis chapter 1, literally out the gate of the scriptures, right, Genesis 1, 1 says this. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And then something itched at God because it says, where do we find him? It says the spirit of God was doing what? Hovering over the waters. And he said, I'm going to do something about this. Boom. Boom. We get the rest of chapter 1, Genesis, what? Which is what? Light and darkness, creation, earth, right? Like, he brings beauty out of this formless, void, dark, whatever that was. God couldn't let it be that way. It motivated, it moved him to do something, right? And so my premise today, when we look at the gospel, is that God's holiness is his beauty, and he is so terrifyingly beautiful that it sets him apart as holy or other or glorious. You've heard these words before, right? Paul states this. He says in, uh, in one of his letters to Timothy, he says, God lives in unapproachable light. And so God is so unique and wonderful that Anything, anything and everything outside of himself or removed from himself must be sanctified, right? Which means to be made holy. By himself, it must be made whole. And there's anything outside of him, he's got to bring it in, right? It's no longer broken. The only way to, to make sure that it's no longer chaotic or ugly is to draw it into himself, By himself. So therefore, the good news, or what we call the gospel, is that because God is self-aware and understands this about himself, praise God for his self-awareness, right? Jesus took that which was not his fault, which is our brokenness, and he made it his responsibility. Thus exchanging the beauty of God for the ugliness of humanity. You and me. So some clarifying terms, right? Will, what do you mean by beauty and brokenness? I'm going to give you a definition. Beauty, not in regards to attractiveness or the outward appearance, right, or how society would define beauty, but the spirit that reflects the glory and holiness Of God. Kiddos. Beauty is not about how we look on the outside, but how we look on the inside. Adults, I think that's a word, right? Two verses. Isaiah 53 verse 2. Isaiah says this. He, Jesus, grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him and so according to whatever standards of that day Jesus did not look good but yet there was something attractive about him first samuel 16:7 says this but the lord said to samuel do not consider his appearance or his height for i have rejected him he's talking about saul it's talking about King Saul here, right? And the, what was going on with King Saul and, and David. Talking about uh, Saul. Samuel, uh, the Lord said to Samuel, he continues, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So, about beauty is about what's within. Then, brokenness, right? Let me define brokenness. For me, brokenness and ugliness are the same thing, right? But the word or the definition for that is one who is helpless, powerless to accomplish an end or a goal. But there is potential. It's not worthless. It's not just gone. It's like, well, good luck. There's something more there. Kiddos. For you, ugliness on the inside doesn't mean that we can't change or that God loves us any less. Ugliness on the inside does not mean that we can't change or that God loves us any less. Two verses If you've been listening to our Sermon on the Mount series, this is familiar. Matthew 5.3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Back to Isaiah 57.15, for this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also With the one who is contrite. Old school word meaning dust. God says, I'm not just holy and high, right? I live in heaven. I also live with the one who is dust and lowly in spirit. Why? He says, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So the two questions I want to answer today, the questions I'm asking you, honestly, I think the question that the world is asking of every one of us is what is so amazing about this exchange between God and man? Why is the gospel better? Because there's a lot of things out there. Why is it better? I say this, first we've got to understand the dichotomy, right, or the two sides of the gospel, right? There's two sides of the gospel. The first one, definitely a fill in the blank in all of y'all notes, is this. That the gospel or the good news is that we can have salvation. Amen? Amen? the gospel or the good news is that because Jesus took our punishment we can be friends and not enemies with God. Because Jesus took our punishment, we can be friends, not enemies, with God. You can write it in. Meaning that we can be set free, right, from the penalty of sin or eternal death, or like the old school word, damnation. Right, No longer needing to pay the penalty and receive God's wrath because Jesus made the payment in full. There's a big word. It's called justification. This is what it means. It means that it's just as if I had done nothing wrong. That's what Jesus does for us. He justifies us in the realm of salvation. Second point. Second point, the gospel or the good news is that now because we understand and we see that Jesus made that payment in the realm of salvation, right, and placed his payment into the account of the person that has submitted or acknowledged him, now out of a grateful, cheerful, thankful, I mean, loving heart, we now do righteousness, or good deeds to glorify God. So the gospel of the good news is that we now do righteousness or good deeds to glorify God, kiddos. There's no if there's a blank, write it in, or hopefully fill it fill in a blank. But here's what I want you to know. And all of us, the gospel of the good news, is that good friends. Listen to good advice from Jesus because he always wants what's best for us. Good friends, listen to good advice from Jesus because he always wants what's best for us. And then we are continually changed to reflect the glory of God so that others may understand the goodness of God and God's desire to give them the same freedom from eternal death or separation from God because of how we're living and the good things that we are doing by his grace. The second word, the big theological word, sanctification. Basically, it's just the process of our ugliness being removed and God's beauty being added into our lives. That was too big? Let me rephrase. There's two sides to the same coin, right? They work in tandem, this, this, this salvation and then why we do what we do, right? The only distinction is that works, you got to listen to this, works do not save. But salvation leads to righteousness or doing good works. And so a lack of righteousness or good works in our lives does not negate God's eternal love, but it is proof that something is wrong in our lives. I'll rephrase it once more. We don't do things or serve or extend grace because it will save us, but because we have been saved. Once again, beauty heals. And the beauty of Jesus comes in a form of light. And what Paul says in Galatians, love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is long and continual patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so the beauty of God, his amazing grace, is exemplified within us and through us by the Holy Spirit who resides in us. Remember, God, out of Isaiah, right, who resided in otherness that we call heaven, chose now to reside within frail, broken flesh, Named humanity. And so, even though our natural ugliness and brokenness are deeds of darkness and chaos, Paul also says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Basically saying, oh, in case I forgot anything, everything that's like this. Even though that is our natural ugly state, God says, I'm willing to reside with humanity. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. Romans chapter 5. Let's jump in. We're going to go 1 through 17, and here's what Paul's doing. Paul leads us through this exchange, what I'm, what I'm telling you, that this exchange of God's beauty for humanity's ugliness, right? And so we're going to go, as we read through, we're going to read of the death of Adam and the life of Jesus and the distinction of who we are but God, right? Who we are, but he's got a plan. Who we are, but he's got a gift. Make note, I'm not diving in, right, and doing a full deep mode on this thing, okay? But I hope that it piques your interest and that you just go home and read and study Romans chapter 5. But let's jump into this. I will definitely interrupt myself as I read, okay? Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Pause. This, what Paul just says here, this is the part, the point one that I made previously. That the gospel or the good news is that we can have salvation. And he jumps in with some more exciting news. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Verse three, not only so, But we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And one of my favorite verses, verse 5 and hope, it does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Once more, God choosing to reside within frail flesh named humanity. Verse 6. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless or ugly, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare die. But God Demonstrate his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners or broken, Christ died for us. And that's the beautiful exchange. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Basically, big old word an exchange, reconciliation. And so Paul is saying, we haven't fully been made beautiful or fully exemplified God's beauty to the world, but if God is willing to accept us in this current state of a broken mirror and a shattered reflection of who he is now, how much more glorious and holy And beautiful will we become because of Jesus and the work that he will complete. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. Chaos, ugliness, brokenness. Verse 13, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift, the gift is not like the trespass, meaning the gift of God's beauty and amazing grace will not fail. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, meaning all of us, all of humanity due to our foreparents, Adam and Eve, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many to be made beautiful? Because of Jesus we gain glory. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one's sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Meaning the gift of Jesus surpasses and far outweighs the weight of sin and the penalty of sin forever. There is no comparison. Christ can and has covered all. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So the question again, what is so amazing about this exchange between God and man. The world is asking us. Here's my answer. God has found us, God has found you to be worth eternity. So much so that he not only made us in his image so that the possibility of a beautiful exchange could occur, but he allows the brokenness and the dust of us to be moldable and shapeable to reflect and hold his divine beauty. We were made to be elevated from the ashes and become co-heirs with Jesus. That's amazing grace that God could foresee so far ahead in advance before there was ever even us here. And he said, I'm going to create them in my image with a plan so that I can save them. And this is not of ourselves, Ephesians 2.8. It is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork. Let me, let me give you a little insight, because I love this word. It, the literal Greek translation is we are God's poema. We are God's poem. That's what that means. We're God's poems created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So why is the gospel better? It's a question that I hope you get asked. Here's my answer. No other religion or cult will show you or tell you or speak to you in this world as God speaks of us. No other gospel will prove Jesus' love for us and through us and that though we are beautifully broken, we were created to be living Poems to exemplify his light and love and compassion and amazing grace to a dark, loveless, hurting, and disgraced world. Only God speaks about us in the way that the scriptures do. And so the wrath of God is forever placed on Jesus. For eternity, get this, so that God is free to lavish us in His love and mercy and grace and goodness without ever undermining or compromising His justice and holiness. Because Jesus is so perfect and the exact image and is God that he covered all sin, brokenness, and ugliness in eternity past, in the future, and forevermore and eternity future. And he has justified us in his blood. And so God says, I'm free to just give all of who I am for frail human beings. It's amazing. Kittles, why is the gospel better? Because no matter when we mess up, and we will mess up, or do something bad, Jesus is never disappointed, and he loves us even more. No matter when we mess up, And we will mess up or do something bad. Jesus is never disappointed and he loves us even more. Because when God sees us, he sees his son and the covering of Jesus on us. And that's a beautiful thing. So two questions. Two questions. Would you submit to Jesus as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life today? Here's another way of saying it. Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and lead your life today? You can receive that beautiful exchange You can receive that salvation today. Secondly, for everybody else who said, yes, I have done that, the question for all of us in this room, the question for Hope Church is how are we being a tangible presence and reflection of God's beauty where we live, learn, work, and play. I'll rephrase it. How are we being a beautiful person to our friends, family, and neighbor because of Jesus? The beauty of God, exchange for the ugliness. Of you and I. As you're processing this, this is a wonderful time now to step into communion. I hope you got your communion cup. If not, throw up your hand. Michael, could you grab some? As we step into this, if here's here's something I want you to ponder. If you have never asked the first question in your life, that's okay. Because we get to process this moment here together. You still get to ask that question. You still get to check yourself as long as you have breath within your lungs. So sit with that question. Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and lead your life? Then again, for the rest of us, we step into this moment to check our hearts and make sure that our hearts are in the right place, as I hope the Holy Spirit has allowed you to see a different perspective on the gospel. So let's take a moment now to go before the Lord.